This is Pastor Scott Olbert with Spiritual Onion. As you know, onions can continue to cause bad breath for hours after a meal. As part of the digestive process, their byproducts are absorbed into the bloodstream and carried to the lungs, giving bad breath its staying power. And here's another tale about what's on our breath. A minister is driving down the road and is stopped for speeding. The state trooper smells alcohol on his breath, sees an empty wine bottle on the car mat, and asks, Sir, have you been drinking? The minister says, Just water. Then why do I smell wine on your breath? The minister looks down at the wine bottle and exclaims, Good Lord, he's done it again. Up until about the first third of the 20th century, most mainline congregations used wine for the Lord's Supper. Then an influential Methodist began a campaign urging churchgoers to use grape juice instead of wine. Based on fears over the dangers of alcohol and the piety of certain believers, his campaign won the day. Slowly, various mainline and non-denominational churches began using grape juice in the celebration of Holy Communion. Oh, I almost forgot to tell you. The Methodist fellow's last name was Welch. Yep, that Welch of Welch's grape juice. You just can't make this stuff up. Just goes to show, though, how dangerous it is to be more religious than Jesus. So in the Gospel of John, we have the story of Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus attends a Jewish wedding where the sharing of wine is a central ritual. Under a canopy, a rabbi recites a blessing over wine, praising God for preserving the sanctity of the family and of the Jewish people. The bride and groom drink from the cup of wine. Blessings are recited over the wine because wine is symbolic of life. It begins as grape juice goes through fermentation where it turns sour, but in the end it turns into a superior product that brings joy. The full cup of wine at the wedding symbolizes the overflowing of divine blessing, as in the 23rd Psalm, my cup runneth over. The process of grape juice transforming to wine shows us the transforming process of spiritual life. We each begin as a person who along the way encounters a fermentation process that we call suffering, which turns us sour for a time. Yet if we allow the process to fully unfold, we turn into a superior product that brings us and others joy. Deb came back from a trip with some women friends, and we were sitting and talking. While she sipped her glass of wine, she said, I love you so much, you know. I don't know how I could ever live without you. I said, Is that you or the wine talking? She said, It's me talking to the wine. Man, that's cold. Yet, there is a connection between the spirit of the wine and the spirit of God. Carl Jung, the psychotherapist, corresponded with Bill W., the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, 
and in one of his letters he wrote, Craving for alcohol is the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness expressed as union with God. The only right and legitimate way to such an experience is that it happens to you in reality, and it can only happen to you when you walk on a path which leads you to a higher understanding. The spirit of alcohol momentarily gets us high when what we need is a permanent higher understanding. Jung continues, Alcohol in Latin is spiritus, and you use the same word for the highest religious experience as well as for the most depraved poison. The helpful formula is spiritus contra spiritum, spirit against spirit. Some of the most deeply spiritual people I know are recovering alcoholics. Earlier in their lives, they sought the spirit in the bottle instead of the spirit of God. But once on the spiritual path, they dive deeply into the spiritual waters. So rather than being occasionally or frequently or consistently filled with the spirit of the bottle, we want to find a way to open ourselves to the spirit of God coming to us in the presence of the winemaker, Jesus Christ. A while back, 60 Minutes had a segment on the distilling of scotch on one of the northernmost islands off the coast of Scotland. And the master scotch distillers talked about how scotch creates joy in the drinker. Sadly, this is what can drive some people to drink to the point of excess, chasing the affect of joy to momentarily replace sadness, anxiety, or suffering. Or one can go to the opposite extreme and never touch scotch or wine or other spirits. A man in his 60s went to a new doctor and was put through a series of exhaustive tests. Afterwards, the doctor said the guy was doing fairly well for a man of his age. This worried him, so he asked, Doc, do you think I'll live to be 90? The doctor asked, do you smoke or drink wine or beer? No, nothing like that, and I don't do drugs either. Okay, do you eat steak or ribs? No, my former doctor told me all red meat is unhealthy. All right, do you spend a lot of time in the sun playing golf, hiking, biking? No, nothing like that. And what about gambling, driving fast cars, or lots of time with various women? No, never. Then why do you even care? Because of its color and the fact it is made from what is called the vital sap of the grapevine, wine is most often a symbol of blood, the blood of Christ, the blood that courses through our bodies. In the religious imagination, wine is widely regarded as the elixir of life and a liquid of immortality. Because of its intoxicating effect, it's sometimes seen as a means of attaining spiritual knowledge, a beverage, if you will, of divine love. In the mind of the mystics, the soul is imagined as surrounded by the wine of immortality before the creation of the world. 
Biblical authors see wine as a symbol of the joy and abundance of God's gifts. This deeply soulful and spiritual perspective is why it is so important that Jesus' first miracle is transforming water into wine. Be uplifted. Be surprised by joy. Taste this elixir of everlasting life. Be infused with spiritual knowledge. The Spirit of God, just like the Spirit of the bottle, is meant to override the ego, filling us with experience of the intoxicating love of the Spirit. When the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer visited the United States in World War II, he visited various congregations throughout the country. He said he caught a glimpse of the living church in the historically black churches. He participated in Harlem's Abyssinian Baptist Church, where Adam Clayton Powell was pastor. He was captivated by the lively worship, the immediacy of the presence of Christ in the midst of suffering, and its powerful expression of faith in its joyful music. Too often, he found, too many mainline congregations settle for tepid worship that does not move us emotionally to joy, that does not replace our sad spirits and depressed souls with the Spirit of God, and does not lift us out of the doldrums into the presence of Christ in the midst of our suffering. Matthew Fox, the Roman Catholic theologian, writes about original blessing rather than original sin, reminding us that the universe is fundamentally a blessing, that the via positiva, the positive path of spirituality, is one of awe, delight, and amazement, that the via creativa, the creative path of spirituality, is one of birthing, creativity, and passion, that the via transformativa is the joyful path of healing and celebration. A woman was driving home in northern Arizona when she saw an elderly Navajo woman walking on the side of the road. She stopped the car and asked the woman if she'd like a ride. The woman thanked her and got in the car. After a few minutes, the Navajo woman noticed a brown bag on the back seat and asked the driver what was in the bag. The driver said, It's a bottle of wine. I got it for my husband. The Navajo woman thought for a minute, Good trade. Jesus offers a good trade, wine for water, eternal life that begins now for life that slowly drags to a dead end, meaning for meaninglessness, joy and serenity for anxiety and chaos. Good trade. Listen to the master of the banquet. Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. In spiritual language, glory means that we experience God's presence in a tangible way. Like a good buzz brought about by good wine, God's presence in our lives is to be that tangible, palpable, and enlivening. 
I stepped out on our front porch to watch over our dogs as they did their business. I happened to glance at the hills in the distance and was surprised by two houses beautifully decorated for Christmas. Their lights filled me with joy. I had never before looked in their direction on the horizon, but there they were in all their loveliness, tangible, palpable, and enlivening. My wife, Deb, has a smile that still fills my heart to this day. Our one-year-old Bishan sits beside me with a tennis ball in his mouth. He turns his head and looks me in the eye to proudly show me what he has, his eyes bright and happy. It fills me with joy. It is such a joy to get together with the band to rehearse and record for our podcast. Over the years, I've experienced various times of suffering, but there is healing in the universe, and so there is joy when I have come through yet another period of suffering. Joy that the suffering has lifted, but also joy in how I have been transformed by the suffering. We are surrounded by the presence of the Spirit, always awaiting to surprise us as the ordinary is momentarily transformed into joy. Thank you for joining me for Spiritual Onion. I'll be with you again in two weeks. In the interim, take a few moments to visit our website at yourspiritualonion.com where you can listen to previous podcasts and if you choose, send me a message. Take care. Used to spend my nights out in the barroom for the bottom and brought me back from being too far gone You're as smooth as Tennessee
Okay, Johnny. Tennessee whiskey. Okay, Tennessee whiskey. 